You're listening to the Eastside Baptist Church Sermon Podcast. This sermon was recently preached at our church. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com. Now, enjoy today's sermon. Genesis 25. We're going to be in Genesis 25 uh, again this morning. Last week we focused on a question from Rebecca. If it be so, why am I thus, was the question. And the idea last week was that those two unborn babies, those twins were in her womb and they were struggling and it was hard. And she says, if this is the right thing, Lord, why is it so hard? Why, if, this, if it be so, why is it thus? And, and we have to remember, though, that our struggles don't cancel God's plans. And sometimes we get to the point where it's hard and we don't see why and we forget or that, that God is still working. He can still work even in our struggles. The best answer is that God still has a plan and you can rest in that. Uh, today's story, though, as we can continue on with the narrative, it reminds us that Jacob and Esau didn't stop fighting once they were born. There was a struggle their whole lives. These two twins were polar opposite personalities. They were like oil and water. And maybe if, if you grew up with a sibling that was the oil to your water or you were the oil to their water, parents in here, you probably know this, you have two children that, that have opposite personalities and you've got these sets of children, if they're together it's fine, and these sets of children, but if you've got this one with this one, it kind of always seems to implode well, that's how these two siblings were, Jacob and Esau. They were twins born seconds apart, and yet they could not have been more different. So I want to begin reading today in verse 24 as we stand. Genesis 25, we'll begin reading in verse 24, just as a reminder of some of the background here. And by the way, when we stand, it's just out of respect of God's word. Um, and uh, just want to show reverence to God's word here this morning. Genesis 25, it, it says in verse 24, where we'll begin reading. Rebecca's about to have twin boys. It says, and when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first, one, the first came out red, all over like in hairy garment, and they called his name Esau. And after that came his brother out, and his hand took hold on Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And he, Isaac was threescore years old, sixty years old, when she bare them. And the boys grew, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field, and Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. And Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore was his name called Edom. And Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die. And what profit shall this birthright do to me? And Jacob said, Swear to me this day, and he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright unto Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink, and rose up and went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. Today's message really is a simple concept, and you probably could guess 
the direction we're going to take just by reading the text. But there's a principle that applies to all of us. And that is Esau traded something of great value for something of very little value. And I believe that we can better understand why if we take a look at, at the text and study this today. The title this morning is this, All That for a Bowl of Beans. Maybe the better inflection would be like this. All that for a bowl of beans? I mean, you gave up all of that for beans. And I'm not trying to make it more impactful than it is. It's impactful just to think about it that way. Esau gave up something of great value for a bowl of beans. And we can do the same if we're not careful. And I hope that we'll lock in and learn some important lessons this morning. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the word. pray that you bless the reading of it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. When my kids were little, I think I did this with just about every single one of them. They would turn about four years old. And um, they, at that point, were kind of understanding the value of money. Now... Um, when you're at that age still, they would rather have a shiny quarter, honestly, than they would have a $1 bill. Because a quarter is just more fun to play with. You can throw it. It makes noise. It's more exciting. Um, but I, I remember as they would get to be about four years old, I did this, I think, with every single one of my children. And I would get a, a 5 or a $10 bill, whichever one I had, probably a $5 bill. And I would, they, I, we would give them some dessert of some kind. And and we would give them usually a bowl of ice cream. And so we'd be eating ice cream as a family. And it would dawn on me, okay, I need to run this social experiment on this child. Because this child hasn't endured it yet. So they would be eating a bowl of ice cream. Or I would hold a bowl of ice cream, I should say, out to them. And then I would take, let's just say, a $10 bill. And I would hold both of those out to that little four-year-old child. And I would say, okay, for instance, I would say, okay, Caitlin. Um, Caitlin, I would say, I'm sorry, she's on my mind because she was up here singing a minute ago and, and I was getting emotional as her dad, thinking she's growing up so much. But you're not here to hear that. Okay, so Caitlin, when she was four years old, I remember very distinctly saying, okay, Caitlin, here's a bowl of ice cream. You can have this bowl of ice cream. Or, and I pull out a $10 bill. Now, most of the adults in this room understand the difference between a bowl of ice cream and a $10 bill. If Caitlin had been aware, she would have said, I could go buy th probably three or four cartons of that ice cream for 10, well, maybe not three. Okay, we'll say two or three cartons inflation. Two or three cartons of ice cream for that $10 bill. And I could have all the ice cream I really want. So yes, I will take the money. But you know, every single time that I ran that experiment with my children, guess what they chose? They chose the ice cream. How many of you in here would choose the ice cream over a ten? See, we see all the teenagers. They still haven't learned the value of money. See, that's why we need this message today. Because we have a tendency to trade things that are of greater value for something that doesn't matter nearly as much. And this story is about that. This is a story of Esau trading what was valuable for something that didn't matter. In the grand scheme, it didn't matter at all. We have a problem with, with setting aside delayed gratification so that we could have instant gratification. 
And as we come into this, Rebecca is concerned with the struggle going on in her womb. And God gives her insight into the personalities of her two sons back up in 23. In verse 23, it says, just as a reminder of the difference in her sons, um, look at verse 23. It says, and the Lord said unto her, two nations are in thy womb. Now, that was probably news to her because she probably didn't even realize there were two babies inside of her womb. There were twins that were inside of her womb. She didn't know that. She's wondering why there's all this turmoil and trouble. God says there are two nations. So there aren't only, not just there's, there's two twins. He was saying there are two men that will become prominent men in culture. They will be nations. There are two nations in thy womb. That's why there's a struggle. Then he goes on in the, in the next part of the verse. He says, and two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels. The idea there is that these were two completely different personalities. You're going to have one that's like, one that's manly, one that's big and strong and tough, and then one that's more, more spiritual or, or, or more calm or more reserved. And you've got these two different personalities. Uh, what, there's two manner of people in your womb. Uh, he goes on and says in the third part, uh, and the, the one people shall be, shall be stronger than the other people. So there will be one that's stronger than the other one. And then the big one at the end, in a surprising twist, she, God says, and the elder shall serve the younger. And that's not normal in that culture. Uh, that's a, the older child typically was, was the one that was, that was receiving the inheritance. He was the one that would be left in charge. Uh, he was the one that would receive the birthright. And it wasn't normal for the elder to serve the younger, but that was God's way of telling her that there will be conflict between your two boys basically their whole lives. And if you think it's hard right now, just wait, because it won't end anytime soon. And he was preparing her to understand that the interactions between Jacob and Esau were going to be a certain way because they're so different. And the, these births, their birth gives us a glimpse into their nature. Just the fact that they were born the way they were tells us what kind of people they were going to become. Esau, it says, was born and he was red and he was hairy all over. It says like a hairy garment as a baby. I mean, his name, Esau, literally means hairy. And what could be more manly? I mean, that's, he is a man's man as an infant. And my, my son, we, I'm trying to train him um, because he has four sisters and a mother and our dog's a female too. And so I'm like, we, I, anything I can do to balance with that boy, I'm trying to constantly tell him. And he's gotten to the point where he'll do something and his mom will say something and he'll say, Mom, I'm sorry, that's just what men do. So he, now, he doesn't mean it as disrespectfully as it sounds to you. He's just trying to be, hey, because I tell him that all the time. Hey, son, that's what men do. If he starts to cry about something, I'm like, son, men don't do that. And if he's trying to be a certain way and I don't want him to be that way, it's like, that's not what men do. And he's trying to, he's kind of repeating that now to his mom. I've got to be careful because I hope he's not, you know, flexing in front of his mother. Um, she, she can still take him. He's only eight. So, no, Esau's a man's man. He's a cunning hunter, it says. And, and not just a hunter, he's a great hunter. And it, it, you had to be cunning in those days. So it wasn't as easy. I'm not saying it's easy, but, you know, it's one thing to sit in a deer stand with a rifle and hunt these days. It was another to take whatever tools they had and go kill something. They had to be cunning. They had to be uh, on top of their game. And, and Esau was good at it. Esau was also a man of the field, it says. When that means he was restless. 
And we think, well, yeah, man's man. No, but, but if you start to think about it, it means that he wasn't content to just be at home. And he wanted to be out there. And this speaks not just of his likes, it speaks of his, of his nature. And that he was spiritually restless. And, and I'm not reading too much into that. The Bible calls him later a profane man. And that he did not have interest in spiritual things. He, didn't, he had a lack of desire for the spiritual roots that God had given to him through his grandfather and through his father. He wasn't content to father and follow in his father's footsteps. He wanted something different. He wanted something stimulating, something exciting, something that would get his blood rushing and, and give him that next adrenaline rush. That's Esau. Man's man. Restless, not spiritual. On the other hand, you've got his brother, Jacob, and he was a homebody. He was born literally grabbing onto Esau's heel, and it's a glimpse of his nature. He was a heel grabber, and, and that means it, it, that's what his name means. It means subtle. It means quiet. It means scheming. If you reach out and you grab somebody's heel as they walk by, they're likely going to trip. And Jacob, that's, that's kind of his nature. He was behind the scenes. He was manipulative. He was subtle. And he was a plain man, the Bible says. Now, um, I'm just doing a word study of that word plain and come to find out it's the same word that God uses to describe Job. He was complete or whole. And whatever we believe of Jacob, he certainly had his warts. He did, though, in this regard, he did want the things of God. He had a desire to be blessed by God. Now, did, did Jacob go about it the right way? No, but he wanted the things of God. And that's the difference between Esau and Jacob is that Esau does not want anything to do with God. He doesn't want to stick around his parents' home. He doesn't want what they have. He wants to get out there. He wants something stimulating. He wants something new. He wants something exciting. And Jacob, for all of his flaws, is content to be at home because he sees the value in what he has received from his grandfather and his father. There's another factor at work, though, that is adding to the, con the conflict. And that is the fact that each parent had a favorite child. Verse 28, Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. What an interesting reason. It says that Isaac loved Esau because of, he brought meat. Now, I mean, that is a way to a man's heart, I think. But he brought, Esau would go out, he would hunt, he would bring home venison for his father. And the Bible says Isaac loved Esau because of that. Now, I mean, I love meat too. But that seems like a very unspiritual reason to love a child. And I think it probably starts to give us a glimpse into the environment that Isaac created in their home is that Isaac was a man who was, who was about satisfying the needs of his flesh. He was a man that enjoyed that part, and he, and he catered to that part of Esau's personality, and he encouraged that part of Esau's personality. And listen, this isn't the message today, but dads, you've got to be careful because there are things that our children like to do that we can't just promote and push, and just because we enjoy them, we have to be mindful that what we do in moderation, our children will do in excess. 
And here you see a young man, Esau, who his dad is loving him even more because of his restlessness and because he likes to be out there and hunt. And so he just latches onto it more and more. But a home where that is given to fleshly appetites is not a spiritual home. And I think that's part of the reason that Esau um, became the kind of man that he was. We're also told that Rebekah loved Jacob, and we're not really told why, except that he was probably more sensitive, he was at home more, and her affection for him, unless we think it was harmless, we find out later it led to sin and family dysfunction later on, because she wanted Jacob to get all the blessings. And this is a dysfunctional family. Both parents are playing favorites, and it leads to a, a family dynamic that is unhealthy and destructive. So if their natural personalities weren't enough to overcome, now, now their parents are playing favorites. And it's just another reason for the relational struggles that these two brothers had going in different directions, opposite directions. And they were bound to have conflict already. And it's true in their first interactions inside the womb. It's true there now in their first interaction that we read, we read of outside the womb. Let's look at verse 29. Jacob's, and Jacob sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint. Now, we don't know the boy's age at this time, but Jewish tradition uh, tells us that they, that they were 15. Now, we don't know that for sure. I think there's a good reason to believe that. We know if you do all the math that Abraham died when we, he was 175. That means that Isaac would have been 75 when Abraham died because Isaac was born when Abraham was 100. And we're told in this passage that Isaac was 60 when his boys were born. So that means when Isaac would have been 75, his boys would have been, I'm sorry, would have been, um, he would have been 60 when they were born, 75 when Abraham died. That means the boys would have been 15 when Abraham died. And so Jewish tradition believes that this story, that they're about 15 years old. And part of the reason for that is that lentils, this kind of a meal, was known as a, a, a meal of mourning. And we would have no reason to believe they would be mourning for something else. It makes sense if you start thinking about it that it could be that, that Abraham had just recently died. And maybe that's the reason the birthright is on their minds. So we don't know for sure if they're 15. Uh, they could be a little bit older than that. I'm just, for today's purposes, let's just imagine that they're somewhere between 15 and 20 years old. We're just going to imagine that they're older teenagers today. And this is this interaction will help us to just kind of picture if we're thinking 18, 19 years old, then it kind of gives us a glimpse, a picture of what's happening. It says that Jacob sawed pottage. That means that Jacob is making stew. He's making stew from lentils. Now, lentils are similar to peas or beans, and, and you probably have eaten lentils. Maybe some eat more than others. You could say it was bean soup, okay, or bean stew. And it's, so, in other words, this is not a special meal. And you might say, well, I mean, I, don't get me wrong, I like beans. And I'm from the South, and we eat red beans and rice, and cornbread, okay? Does anybody else eat, eat that together? Okay, there's some, good. Got some godly people in here, that's good. I mean, it's gotta include bacon, which I doubt there was bacon in theirs, but you know, we're not gonna talk about that today. Red beans, rice, cornbread, it's good stuff. It's good on a cold day. But can I just be honest? It's not a steak from Texas Roadhouse. I mean, it's not bad. But it's not, it's not like going to Carnival and eating all the meat you can have. 
I mean, and they just keep bringing it out to you. And they, you keep it on green and they just keep, keep on. If you haven't been there, you've got to try it. Uh, we took Jace there when he was six and his card never went to red. It was green the whole time. I'm still impressed by that. You know, so as good as beans smelled, it's not, a, it's not like this is the kind of meal you'd pay top dollar for. And that's what makes this so strange because Esau was faint, which means he was weary and exhausted and, and, and yet he was willing to go to some serious lengths for, for the soup. And apparently his hunting trip went like most of mine because he came back with a lot less ammunition and no more meat than when he started. Comes back and he has nothing to eat and he walks into the room and he smells the stew and maybe you've done that before when you're just very hungry and, and you get a whiff of something and it's like your stomach starts to speak to you and you can't control it. And he goes into full Esau mode and he says, what the flesh wants it gets, I need some of that stew right now. Verse 30, he comes in and says, Esau said to Jacob, feed me, I pray thee with that same red pottage for I am faint. Therefore, his name was called Edom. He says, I'm exhausted, I'm starving, feed me with that same red. And from that day, he became known as Edom, which means red. This event, this event so defined his life, this, this uh, selling of his birthright for this bowl of beans, that it would so defined him that it changed his name. To this point, is, there's not too much surprising. Esau's a man that prioritizes his flesh. He's looking for the next thing. He comes in from a hunting trip, and as an older teenager, if you've ever been around older teenagers when they're hungry, they do think they're going to die. I mean, they're hungry. He comes in from this hunting trip and, and he hasn't eaten maybe after a long day or maybe a couple of days. He's exerted energy and he has one thing on his mind, I must eat. And it's really though Jacob's response that takes this from a pretty standard interaction to a whole nother level. Because look at verse 31, and Jacob said, sell me this day thy birthright. Jacob just took the interaction from normal to nuclear. He just took it from, from maybe a kind of a typical teenage boy interaction, a typical brother interaction to something completely different. And that's why I think maybe this was soon after Abraham had died because the birthright's on Jacob's mind. And before we can understand how big this is, I want you to understand the birthright here. The birthright was the oldest son's prized possession. In that culture, the oldest son had two distinct honors just because he was the oldest son. The first was more physical in nature and that he was given a double inheritance. So if you're the oldest son in that culture, you would have gotten double what everybody else got. So if there are three boys involved, then you would divide your inheritance by four and you give two to the oldest son and then the other sons would get an equal share. So that means that the oldest son had double what the others had. So that's the first part of a birthright is that the oldest son gets double what the other sons will get. The other part is, is that he would be considered the head of the family. So after the death of his parents, he would get to be in charge. You know, there's an interesting point is that it was possible to transfer or sell a birthright. If you didn't want it, if you didn't have interest in it, you could sell it. Normally, a firstborn son wouldn't dream of it because it meant it forfeited security. It forfeited his inheritance, his respect, his influence. But if one did sell it, you would think, though, it would have been more than for a bowl of beans. 
See, Esau doesn't seem to have any perspective. And, we, and that's crazy because this birthright wasn't like all the other birthrights either. Because all the other birthrights were about an inheritance and they were about respect and leadership. But this birthright is different because the foundation of this birthright came directly from Jehovah to Abraham. It wasn't just about flocks. It wasn't just about riches. It wasn't just about land and a nation. This birthright originated in a covenant that the God of heaven made with, a, with Abraham. And the primary blessings of this covenant, God's covenant to Abraham, would be passed to the one who possessed the birthright. So, that, so you think, well, oh, Abraham was rich, so that must be all it's about. No, when God came to Abraham and made a covenant, then he wasn't saying that you will just have riches and you will just have blessings. He referred to something in that blessing in Genesis 12. He says, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through your descendants. And what it was was a prophecy, a picture of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. This, uh, this wasn't just your average birthright. This wasn't just about money. This wasn't just about lands. It wasn't just about respect. This was about Jesus Christ himself. The savior of the world was coming through this birthright. He would come and he would die for the sins of mankind. Galatians 3.14 says that the blessing of Abraham might come on the Gentiles through Jesus Christ. That's what this birthright meant. It was not just riches. It was about Jesus. And both Jacob and Esau, I believe, they both knew how significant it was. They both knew that this birthright was different. And we know that too based on Hebrews 12, 16, where it calls Esau a profane person because he sold his birthright for a morsel. He was irreligious. Profane means that he was disrespectful of God. He despised his birthright. So the Bible's own commentary on this story is that Esau knew what the birthright meant and he still chose to walk away from it. He didn't care about the spiritual ramifications. He didn't have any, he didn't have any cares about spiritual, his spiritual life. And before we move on from Jacob's role in this, Jacob was wrong too. I mean, he knew that God had chosen him to be the promised heir. I believe that because God had told his mother that the elder will serve the younger. And who was, who was Rebecca's favorite? Well, Jacob. So you have to know that with her favorite, Jacob, she told him, now listen, when the Lord came to me, he said that Esau's going to serve you. So I'm sure that planted seeds in the mind of Jacob to think, well, if, I'm gonna, if Esau's going to serve me, then, then I've got to figure out a way to get the birthright. Well, no, but that's, that's not it at all. If, God, if that was God's plan for his life, God could have worked that out. Jacob didn't have to take matters into his own hands. It's noble that he was concerned with the things of God, but listen, that doesn't justify doing the wrong things to get what you want. It's still the primary focus of this text is the tragedy of Esau's decision. And as much as Jacob valued the covenant from God to Abraham, Esau rejected it. Look at verse 32. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point to die, and what profit shall this birthright do to me? Here's, here's where we start to see the danger of thinking like Esau. He was so focused on the needs of the moment that he ignored its impact on his future. Was there a legitimate need well, I think probably, yes, he was hungry. The Bible says he was faint. And what, was he actually at the point of death? I think it's probably safe to say he wasn't going to die if he didn't get his food. But listen, this is what our flesh does. 
in the moment, it makes us think if we don't get what it's asking for, we won't survive it. And Esau was so much more in tune with his body than he was with spiritual things that he was willing to trade that which mattered the most for the need of the moment. And I go back to Hebrews 12, 16. It says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. And what we see here is a trade war. There's a trade war going on. On the one hand, there's a spiritual element. And I'm just going to just, this is the biggest Bible I have in my office. And so I'm going to use this to picture the birthright. This is the spiritual blessings that God wants to give you. And I'm just going to set this right here. And just as a reminder that God wants to bless your life with spiritual blessings. He has a birthright for all of us in that he has, he has a life that he wants us to live, a spiritual life. And you could, so the, I mean, you think about it, the son who received this inheritance would produce descendants that would someday result in Jesus Christ himself, God's own son. The birthright represents the future. So on one side of the trade war, you've got the birthright. There's two items involved. The birthright, it points to Jesus, it points to his spiritual future. On the other side of the trade war, there's an, another item. And for the sake of, of uh, today's message, I'm just going to call them beans. Lentils. Red beans. That same red pottage. And this represents, if that represents the future, this represents the flesh. If that represents the birthright, then the beans represent the flesh. And in the moment, I just want you to see the comparison between what was at stake, what the trade war was about. Esau was thinking either this or this. Either this as a future, as a spiritual future and spiritual blessings, or this in the moment I can get full and move on. One of them is urgent in the moment. One of them has importance in the future, both near and distant. And, and this is the trade that I want you to think about this morning because life is full of moment-by-moment -moment trade wars between your flesh and your future. We are faced with countless choices between beans or birthrights, flesh or future. And far too often, we're just like Esau and that we get, we smell it and we see it and we're hungry and we're faint and our flesh says, you've got to have it. And in the moment, instead of operating according to what blesses our spiritual future, we say, but I really want some beans. Yeah. You know, we, this is sleeping in the flesh. This is waking up to walk with God, your future. This is when someone makes, says something that you don't like. This is getting angry. This is responding with grace like Jesus Christ. The flesh is instant gratification. Your future is delayed gratification. The flesh is fear. And, and, and the uh, future is telling somebody about Christ. I mean, you can go on and on and on and on. You know these things. Because you're faced with these decisions on a moment-by-moment -moment basis every day yourself. And you say, well, I don't know why it's so hard. It should be simple. I mean, look at that. That's a Bible. It's a blessing. It's the birthright. It's my future. It's what's best for me. But in the moment, I find myself making decisions based on the bowl of beans way too often. And here's why it's so hard. Is there's, 
three truths that I see from this text that make this hard. And the first is this. Your flesh makes you feel like it's the most important thing. Your flesh, the beans, they make you think they're the most important thing. Esau came in and said, I'm at the point to die. And the reason it's so hard is because uh, to resist the beans is because the beans convince us they matter the most. Your flesh is extremely convincing. Your body's, the voice from coming from your body speaks the loudest. Your flesh can convince you of just about any time, of just about anything. I mean, how many times has your flesh convinced you that you need a second helping when you really don't and you regret it later? How many times, I mean, your flesh, it, it's great at telling you that it's impossible to wake up early, even though you can. Uh, it's, it, it's an expert at convincing you that you don't get, if you don't get what you want, um, and you just can't move forward. I mean, how many times, and I, I don't mean to take it uh, too serious right away, but we need to understand the consequences of this thinking. How many times has it convinced a man that he has to look at something online? That he can't get past that, that he couldn't possibly resist. And that bowl of beans seems so important and it seems so big and it seems so important in the moment, like it's the most important thing and if you don't do it, you won't survive, but that's not true. I mean, Esau wasn't going to die. That's just how convincing your flesh is. It's so convincing it makes us think it matters the most. Your flesh also diminishes the value of your future. It makes you think that in the moment, this is more important than that. What profit, he says, what profit shall this birthright do to me? Esau is saying, compared to my flesh, my future isn't all that valuable. And that's crazy. It's actually crazy. Because in a moment, a bowl of beans seemed bigger to Esau than Jesus. He says, beans have more value than birthrights. And your flesh, friends, your flesh magnifies beans and it minimizes birthrights. And how else do you explain why it's so easy to go into debt for an impulsive buy that will strap you on it with payments for years to come? Because in the moment, man, you smell the beans and you're hungry and you're faint. And you think, I've got to have it. I've got to have it. It looks so good. It sounds so good. My stomach is growling. I've got to have it right now. And it makes you think it's more important than seven years of payments that's going to strap your family financially. Uh, in the moment, we want what's in front of us. Beans diminish the value of our future by magnifying the moment of flesh. It makes us think that the now is more important than the later. I mean, in obedience to God's word. Listen, if you've been in church very long at all, then, then you know that, that uh, disobedience to God results in consequences. But in the moment, we don't seem to care sometimes. We say, well, I'll just eat the beans now. I'll just deal with the consequences later. We're, we're willing to pay the price later so we can enjoy a moment now. Flesh over future, beans over birthrights. Third, your, the third truth is, well, first, flesh convinces us it matters the most. Second, your flesh diminishes the value of your future. And third, your flesh doesn't stay satisfied. The Bible says that Esau rose up and went his way. You know what that means? It means that Esau got up and guess what happened? If he's 20, if he's 18 years old, a couple hours later, guess what happened again? He was hungry. I mean, when, when teenage boys are young, it doesn't take very long at all for them to get hungry again. 
And if he's a restless guy and he goes back out to the field and he's hunting again, it doesn't take long. His stomach is probably growling two hours later. So here's the thing. Beans promise satisfaction, but it's not permanent. And that decision that you're being faced with will not satisfy you permanently. It may scratch the itch for now, but the itch comes back. Esau got hungry again, and so do we. The flesh never delivers on its promises. It doesn't last. Listen, we think I need this extra sleep, but that won't keep you from being sleepy again. That moment of anger will make you feel good when you're lashing out, but you won't actually fix the problem. That look or that touch or that stolen indulgence, it may satisfy your flesh in the moment, but it won't satisfy your spiritual future. Here's the lesson we need. Giving in to the needs of the moment will forfeit your future blessings. You say, well, I was hoping for something, you know, really big and important today. This may be the most important lesson we could ever hear. Because far too many of God's people have traded it all for beans. And they've looked in the moment and said, well, I need that. I've got to have that. And they gave up all the spiritual blessings. I mean, we could go over to Hebrews 12 and see that after Esau did it, he went out and he repented it. He tried to change it. But listen, some things you can't change. And yes, does God forgive? Yeah, he does. Can you come back after you've made a bad decision? Absolutely. But it doesn't mean that the consequences are, are ever reversible. You still have to deal with some of those things. And so I'm asking you today, listen, your beans and a birthright, the beans and God's blessing, your flesh and your future, and what beans are you struggling to resist in your Christian life right now? Is it responding with anger? See, that coworker that you just can't abide, is it, is it really worth a bowl of beans to let them get under your skin? Uh, when your spouse does something you don't like and you lose it and you have to earn it back, that's not worth a bowl of beans. And when someone at church makes you angry and you respond with flesh instead of thinking about the future, it's not worth a bowl of beans. And when something is said to you or about you that just gets your blood pumping to lose your cool or your testimony or a friend or a church family, it's not worth a bowl of beans. So just so you can give your flesh a little bit of satisfaction. My, I had a friend come to visit. We had friends come to visit this week, and we were driving down 6th Street um, this week, and, and we saw this road rage incident. This car pulls in front of another one and gets out and runs back to the car and punches the windshield, breaks the windshield. And it was just crazy, and I was just thinking, um, I was just taken back by the amount of anger in this person's life. And yet, it's happening everywhere these days. Seems like everybody's angry. Everybody's mad, everybody's upset, everyone's losing it, and everyone's, I mean, just, just on edge about everything. And if, listen, if we're gonna be salt and light as Christians, something that should set us apart as God's people is that we're not like that. And yet there are some environments, and not here thankfully, but some environments where God's people are, are acting as bad as the guy driving down the street. Amen. Listen, it's not worth a bowl of beans to lose it over something that makes you angry because your testimony's at stake. And you've got a friend that might be at stake. A church might be at stake. 
It's not worth a bowl of beans to respond with anger. And yet sometimes I think we're so conditioned to respond with anger because of the culture we live in. But that's like saying, I want the beans over God's blessings. How about investing in things that matter to God? Serving God. I mean, I get it. The flesh would rather not go to evening services on Sundays and Wednesdays. You'd rather have more time. The flesh would rather not give up Saturdays to make visits. The flesh would rather not give out a tract or invite somebody to church. The flesh would rather not have to invest a few hours a week in your ministry. I understand that. But when you consider that having a bowl of beans so you can enjoy the moment that it will prevent you from having future blessings because you didn't faithfully serve God. Listen, missing out on this isn't worth a bowl of beans. Inviting somebody to church, giving them a tract, uh, being, being a witness. Yeah, a bowl of beans says, boy, I'm, I'm afraid or I'm embarrassed. But when you think what's at stake, spiritual blessings in somebody's life, I mean, what if somebody in your life had said, you know, they're not worth a bowl of beans. I'm not going to invite them to church. I'm not going to be a witness to them. Where would you be? Remind me, dear Lord. If somebody hadn't just stepped out and been a witness in my life, I'm thankful that somebody was willing to say, listen, a bowl of beans, yes, is what I'd rather do. But I also see in them somebody who could receive Christ and spend eternity in heaven. And so I'm going to tell them about Jesus Christ. This is a big one in people's lives and in marriages. And I think about the sexual revolution that began in the 60s and it just continues to get worse and worse. Sexual gratification in people's lives. Too many marriages have to pick up the pieces of unfaithfulness. The beans seem so important in the moment. But when you're the one picking up the pieces, all you're left is thinking, why did I think that would matter? Why did I think that would be important? And I've sat with friends who made terrible decisions in their marriage. And and I remember distinctly one saying, it didn't even matter. I mean, it, it was nothing. And in the moment, I thought it would be so important, and I thought I would want this so bad, and then after I had it, and now I, I'm trying to just salvage my family. I'm telling you, I, it's everywhere now. If anger is everywhere, so is impurity. Everywhere you look. I mean, it used to be you have to go somewhere to find it, and now you can carry it around in your, on your phone. And I'm telling you, it's a bowl of beans in a lot of people's lives, and they think, this is what I need, I'm going to have this, this will satisfy me, but just like Esau, you think, if I don't get it, I'm going to survive, but after it's done, you just kind of rise up and go your way, and it goes, it doesn't satisfy. To step outside of the boundaries of of a marriage, or to do something like that, where, uh, where you have to maybe pick up the pieces, I mean, listen, the pain of having to tell your spouse or your children about the choice you've made, I'm telling you, that's not worth a bowl of beans. To salvage your relationship. Please the Lord. Listen, we need some people that are willing in the face of hard choices to choose this instead of this. Think about salvation. Sin has already condemned you. I mean, I said earlier, your default position before God is that you're, you're in danger of judgment. 
Because of your sin, because of all the times you've chosen beans, the wages of sin is death. Sin is beans. And many people reject Christ because they want to keep their beans. But doing what you want now isn't worth missing heaven when you die. Spending eternity separated from God in a literal hell, it's not worth a bowl of beans. And you must make the decision not based on what you want right now, but what matters the most the moment you die. And I'm telling you, if you die without Christ, all the beans that you enjoyed in your life won't make any difference in that moment. And if your beans, I say, I'm embarrassed, I don't want people to look at me funny or think less of me. Who cares what people think? You just need to come to Jesus Christ and ask him to forgive your sin and place your faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. He died in your place for your sins. And yes, the beans loom large, but the beans compared to the eternity in heaven is nothing. Come and humble yourself before him today. Acknowledge that you're a sinner. Admit that sin, the consequence is death. But Jesus came to die on a cross for you. You receive him by faith. And you today, walking out the door, can be on your way to heaven. What are you willing to trade for your bowl of beans? Are you willing to trade a satisfying walk with God for sleep? Hey, listen, I like to sleep. Life is long. I mean, the days are long and life is hard and you want to sleep. I get it. But listen, well, if, we, if we do it too much, Christian will get to the point where every morning we're choosing beans over spiritual blessings. Are you willing to trade your relationship with your spouse for impurity? A teenager, are you willing to trade God's blessings on your life just so you can have your way instead of obeying your parents? I know far too many teenagers that, that have that have said, I went my own way, and so they do their own thing, and they lose a relationship with their parents, and they lose God's blessings on their lives because they're being rebellious with their parents. Listen, it's not worth a bowl of beans. Whatever the world says will make you happy and make it more fun, and you'll just love it. It's not worth it. You can talk to people in section after section that have tried it before, and it doesn't satisfy. It's just beans. What are, what are you trying? What are you willing to trade for beans in your life? Are, are, are you willing to make to trade your chance to make a difference in somebody's life because you're embarrassed or you're afraid or you're too busy? It's beans. Dads, are, are you willing to trade a relationship with your family for work for more money? And we say, ha, I'd never do that. But how many dads all across this country are doing that every day? And they've, they've got an opportunity to invest in their children and have a relationship with their wife and family, and yet beans, beans are calling. We all have beans. We all have the things that represent the areas in which we're most likely to give in to the flesh. And you better watch out because someday you're going to be in a circumstance like Esau in which you're tempted to give up that which matters the most for beans. And if you continuously live for, for this one, you don't get to enjoy this one. Missing out on God's blessings, it's not worth a bowl of beans. And before you say, well, I'm not really sure it matters that much, just listen to these verses. For to be carnally minded is death. Because the carnal mind is enmity against God. It's not subject to the law of God, neither indeed can be. So then they that are in the flesh cannot please God. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. It's all in Romans 8. 
And before you think that, well, it's not really that big of a deal, you can't possibly be spiritually fulfilled or blessed or even have spiritual life if you live for beans. Living for flesh forfeits our spiritual lives. Listen, we can go ask an alcoholic. Go ask an alcoholic that's lost everything if the beans were worth it. Go ask somebody who's addicted to drugs if the beans are worth it. If, if what he gave up to have the beans, if it's really worth it. Go ask a, a man that's picking up the pieces of his family if the beans were worth it. Go, go ask somebody that's doing time in prison because they committed a crime uh, without thinking in the heat of a moment. They committed a crime to ask them if the beans were worth it. See, God wants, you, wants all of us to live an abundant, fulfilled, content, spiritual life. And beans destroy that opportunity. Life is short and eternity is long. And the world says... Because of that, live it up. Life is short, live it up. But you know what God says? He says, live for the one that matters the most. Because eternity is forever. So plant the seeds now to enjoy eternity forever. If you master the moments between your flesh and your future, both life and eternity will be better for you. Trading your future, listen, trading your future is not worth a bowl of beans. And right now, I mean, we're so carnally minded in this culture. I wouldn't be surprised if there are people in this room, they're bound to the beans. And every day, the choices they make, it's all about the flesh. It's all about the moment. It's all about the gratification. It's all about the next big rush. And all the while, their spiritual life goes down further and further and further. Listen, I know these are the kind of popular messages to preach in this culture, but we need to hear it if we're going to live lives that please God. You've got to stop living according to your flesh and start operating according to your future. Stop living for the beans and think about the birthright. Dads, stop living for the beans. Moms, stop living for the beans. Teenagers, stop living for the beans. Live for the future, that which will bless you the most spiritually speaking. Because I'm telling you, if you live for the beans, it will just destroy your spiritual life. Trading your future isn't worth a bowl of beans. Let's stand. Every head bowed, every eye closed. It's kind of message that's hard to know exactly how it applies. But you know how it applies in your life. You know the areas in your life that you are most likely to trade. To give up something valuable for something in the moment that doesn't matter. You know the areas. You know the things that are your weaknesses. You know the things in your life that are most likely going to trip you up. You know um, what area it's in. And so I'm asking you, would you just then lay open your heart before God today and say, Father, please reveal to me the areas in my life that I'm most prone to give into the flesh. Forgive me for the leaning and for the decisions and the choices I've made and give me victory so that moving forward, I will live for those things that bless me spiritually instead of those things that destroy me spiritually.
For the rest, maybe there are some in here that aren't, you don't know that if you died today that you'd be on your way to heaven. And you've come in here and you're carrying the results and consequences of your choices just on your own shoulders and you think, I just, I'm just I can figure this out. No, you can't. Jesus Christ is the answer. He died on the cross for your sins. It's the only way to heaven. If you'll repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus Christ, today is the day of salvation. And you can be saved today. I want to encourage you, if you're thinking about making that decision, would you have the courage to just step out and come forward and I'll set you up with somebody that can show you from the Bible how you can know for sure that you're saved. To the Christian today that's been giving in to the beans, living for the beans, and you've traded so much that was more valuable so that you could live in anger or you could live in impurity or you could, you could live in complacency and you could live in laziness. Today is the day to say, I'm no longer going to be making the choices for the beans. I'm going to live for the birthrights. I want to live for my future, not my flesh. However, the Lord's working and leading. Would you let him have his way this morning? Father, thank you for the message, Lord, in my own life. God, I pray that you would just let your word work in us. We need it. The fact that maybe we think it's not that important makes me think it's so important. Because our spiritual lives, if we wonder why we're struggling or we wonder why our spiritual lives aren't thriving, Maybe we're giving into the beans and we don't even realize how much our flesh is dictating every day how we live. God, help us to be spiritual people living for the future instead of the flesh. Have your will and way work in us, Lord. And if there's anyone here today that doesn't know that they're saved, would you please draw them to yourself? Give them the courage to step out and place their faith in Christ and leave here a changed person. Lord, have your will and way this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to encourage you to visit our website at eastsidesf.com.